This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Ronald takes the snap, looks left under pressure. Oh, it's one over the middle. And welcome back to another episode of the Cool Your Jets podcast. We're your hosts, Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Training camp is underway, and Michael and I figured we'd break down the first few days of action. Uh, but first, Michael, how you doing, man? I'm, it's good to finally see some tweets about what's going on in the, in the head-to-head drills and practice. We can react to all of these ridiculously and make these breakout predictions because, you know, Blake Cashman makes one tackle in the flat. He's going, going to the Pro Bowl because of that. So it's officially overreaction season, and it, it's very exciting. Yeah, I'm not necessarily sure what Adam Gase is doing to these guys because they seem to be dropping like flies the first few days of training camp. Partially, because maybe it's no OTAs, time off. There's always training camp injuries, but not a great start given that Denzel Mims is out for a little bit uh, with a hamstring. Connor Hughes said that it, he should be back within the week. Pierre Desir is still out. Brian Poole had dehydration. And he's missed two or three days now. Cameron Clark's week-to-week with a shoulder. Uh, I think Burgess got hurt today. So, you know, I, I don't necessarily know what's going on in Florham Park, um, but the injury bug seems to have been the Jets a little bit early. But, you know, all those guys seem like they should be back by, by the time the season starts. And as long as – well, I'm not even going to say it. I'm not going to try to jinx anything. Um, but I guess the big news of this week was the Jets signing Chris Hogan, a veteran receiver mostly known for his time with the New England Patriots, was at the Buffalo Bills. Last year was at the Carolina Panthers. A bit of an older option. Um, didn't have a great year last year, but he does know the offense. Michael, what are your thoughts on, on Chris Hogan and what he can bring to this offense uh, outside of depth at the receiver spot? Well, I think it was key for them to add some depth at some point. Demarius Thomas is the name we've been bringing up throughout the offseason, and I think he probably still is on the table. You'd think from Thomas's perspective, He's pro- he, he's in a position where, you know, if the Jets do want him, he can probably sit out most of training camp and then just sign with the team before the season because of the extended experience he has with Adam Gase, both last year and in Denver. So I think that option still is on the table because they're really lacking in depth still with the Hogan signing. But the experience Hogan brings, I think, is really important because before you brought him in, the Jets only had two wide receivers on the team with more than one career touchdown catch, and that's Perriman and Crowder. Uh, the only two 
to catch at least one were Vincent Smith and Josh Malone, and both of them have one touchdown each. So not a lot of experience and reliability at the outside wide receiver position. So to get Hogan, who does have some experience, is pretty solid. Did not have a good season last year at all. Uh, missed nine games with a knee injury. Uh, when he was out there, he averaged, averaged 10 yards per game on 4.5 yards per target. So he struggled with the Panthers last year. Uh, but with the Patriots, he was a really solid uh filled that role that he probably might with the Jets that at least to start he could be the three or four receiver uh, but he filled that role pretty well with the Patriots and in 2016 he led the league uh, qualified players in yards per reception with 17.9 and from 2014 to 2018 he did average really solid numbers in terms of big plays 8.7 yards per target 13.7 per reception uh, and 18 touchdowns so about four touchdowns for 16 games and for a wide receiver three or four that those are pretty solid numbers uh, of his 22 career touchdowns including the playoffs 10 of those were from at least 20 yards out so he gives you that deep threat he's also known as a solid blocker which is as we've talked about very important for this team they did not get much blocking from any position receiver tight end obviously the o-line uh, so to get that will be a nice little boost as well but uh, the experience is what i think is most important they don't have a lot of reliability at this position uh, so to get a veteran who you know can be just an okay third or fourth receiver give you some big play production as a deep threat uh, I think is a nice little boost and with the injuries at wide receiver uh, he could be the wide receiver three in week one behind uh, Perriman and Crowder depending on how well Denzel Mims heals up uh, I think long term or at least throughout the season he'll probably be competing with Vincent Smith uh, for that wide receiver four spot with Mims up there with Perriman competing for the, you know, the, the second spot behind Crowder. But at least for now, it seems like Hogan could be, uh, you know, playing decent snaps in week one, depending on how Mims heals up. And also Vincent Smith as well, who's been hurting uh, throughout the first oh, few yeah. practices. So I, I think it, yeah. it, it's a nice add for depth and experience. Yeah, I forgot to mention Smith with that core injury. Uh, you mentioned Demarius Thomas. Are you surprised that they didn't go with Demarius like we all expected instead of Chris Hogan? We expected they were probably going to bring in a vet. I know you mentioned he's still on the table, uh, especially throughout the season. If, if somebody goes down, uh, I, I would expect ET to get a call. But I think me and you both kind of assumed that in the next few weeks they were going to bring back Demarius. Um, Adam Gay says he has experience in the offense. Um, I'm not actually quite sure where, though. I was looking at Chris Hogan. I mean, I don't know when he overlapped with, with Adam Gase, so I'm kind of curious about that. Um, but are you surprised they didn't go with, with Demarius? Was this a bit of a shock to you? And, and if you had to choose, who would you go with based off of um, what you expect from them in, in 2020? I mean, I'd probably go with Thomas. I mean, we know he's, he's way past his prime at this point. He's going to be 33 years old in December. But, I mean, Hogan's about the same age, and I think Thomas definitely has a lot more to offer, uh, even at this stage of his career, than Hogan does. And he has a lot more experience. I know what you said, that Gase did bring that up in terms of Hogan. But like you said, they, they, he, they never actually – he never played for Adam Gase, uh, at least in the regular season. So Thomas, though, has tons of experience under Gase. Uh, and last year, even though he did have some drops and wasn't necessarily the most dynamic receiver, I think what Thomas did well last year is – um, just going back to that understanding of the offense plays where he had to, you know, times cut over the middle to coincide with a pick by one of his teammates. Um, he also in the red zone made that nice uh, jump ball catch against Miami in week 14. Uh, so plays where timing was involved. I think he did a really good job with 
Uh, so I think he definitely has more to offer than Hogan does. So I, I would still bring Thomas in at some point in the offseason over the next couple of weeks. I was surprised definitely that they went with Hogan over Thomas, but we don't know what Thomas's situation is. There's a lot of uncertainty with a lot of players around the league right now uh, with everything that has been going on here in 2020. So we don't know if he wants to play, if he wants to play for the Jets, but uh, I think he would definitely be a better option. I would still bring him in at this point, but uh, Chris Hogan is better than nothing, I think, especially with the injuries at receiver. So I would like to see them sign Thomas at some point though. Right. I think for me, I think the best case scenario is Chris Hogan being the fifth string receiver because right. I, I did like what Vincent Smith showed in limited action last year. He, it, it's, it, it's kind of weird to, to think about because I always kind of thought of him as just some, some scrub in the team, but he started quite a few games for the Jets last year. Um, so he is a returning starter in a way. Um, so, and he's young and he obviously has that speed. So I, I think the hope is that Vincent Smith can take that fourth uh, string wide receiver spot and Hogan is pretty much depth and veteran presence. Uh, but statistically, what are you expecting from Chris Hogan? I guess what's the ceiling and, and, and what's the, uh, the floor? Obviously it depends, uh, you know, who gets hurt. If he moves up into that number two receiver spot, all of a sudden it's week eight and Denzel Mims and Vincent Smith are out or whatever, um, or God forbid the number one spot. Um, but you know, statistically, what type of year do you think Chris Hogan will have if you had to, to predict it? Well, I think like you said that ideally he's your fifth wide receiver. I don't think if the jets have 33 year old Chris, Chris Hogan as their third wide receiver, then, you know, things aren't going well in terms of the health uh, at the position with Mims and Smith. Uh, And like you said, Vincent Smith finished the season pretty impressively. He started off as, you know, uh, like, like you said, just one of those scrubs on the roster and on a team that was very decimated by injuries, but he finished off pretty nicely and filling that role that, you know, we hope he will this season as the fourth wide receiver pretty well, making the most of the few targets that he got. So I'd like to see Smith get that fourth wide receiver spot. So for Hogan, I think, Again, ideally, hopefully he doesn't get the ball thrown his way that much. But if he can give you one or two deep bomb touchdowns this season, you know, catch maybe out of his 20 targets, catch 12 of those for, you know, 160 yards, something like that, I guess that's the most you could realistically hope for. But hopefully he doesn't have to actually play that much. Right. Um, So the next thing we're going to do is we're going to take a look at five camp studs over the first few days. Uh, and just talk about them. Michael can give, again, a statistical expectation for them in 2020. Just talk about their impact. Uh, and we'll start with Chris Herndon, who missed uh, pretty much all of 2019 outside of, I think it was seven snaps or nine snaps. Uh, had a great end of 2018 with Sam Darnold. You've talked about the, the uh, numbers he had as a rookie, really put him in the upper echelon as, as, as far as rookie tight ends go. So obviously the hype was huge last year. It seems like it may have gone even uh, up even more this year. Um, just because it seems like the Jets will be relying on their tight ends uh, a lot, given how thin they are at receiver. Um, he has that chemistry with Darnold, which only Crowder really has at this point. Um, so, Michael, uh, you know, apparently he's been impressing. Connor Hughes thinks that if, if he can stay healthy, he's going to have a huge year. Um, what are you expecting from Chris Herndon in 2020, and how much would it mean to this offense if he can be what we all thought he was going to be last year? Well, I think the biggest thing with Herndon is that his production – as a rookie really set him up for a big leap in 2019 in his second season. You compare him to some of the rookie tight ends who have done the things that he did produce as much as he did as young as he was and doing it efficiently 
in terms of his yards per target, those guys generally have gone on to have, to have big second-year leaps. You're putting him in the company of guys like Hunter Henry, Mark Andrews, and even Rob Gronkowski. Uh, and those guys had similar rookie years in terms of those factors I just mentioned, and then improved quite a bit in their second season. So he was in position to have a big leap. And now things are a little bit different because, uh, you know, he's missed the whole season. So it's not truly second year in the league. Uh, and also there's another guy at the tight end position and Ryan Griffin who played well last year and is going to be demanding some targets. So I think that, you know, considering how Griffin played last year, I think this is going to be a, a committee approach between these two guys. I think they are going to combine to be one of the most productive receiving tight end duos in the league. Uh, and that's going to be not split, definitely favoring Herndon. But I think Griffin will hold Herndon's total production back a little bit, but not in a bad way because Griffin is going to be a solid, you know, one form a solid one-two punch with Herndon. So I wrote an article on Jets X Factor predicting both of their stat lines. What I predicted for Herndon is 50 catches on 70 targets for 600 yards and five touchdowns. And, and that would be over 16 games. And that would be pretty solid if you put that next to what I predicted for Griffin, which is slightly less than that. For Griffin, I predicted 40 catches, 400 yards, four touchdowns. If you can get that from both of those guys, then you know that, that's a combined almost, nine, almost 10 touchdowns and 1,000 yards. That's one of the best receiving tight end duos in the league. So I don't think Herndon's going to put up the biggest volume numbers because Griffin is there. But together, I think these two guys are going to be really efficient and have great uh, camaraderie with Darnold. Uh, and they'll be one of the best receiving duos in the league at tight end. Yeah, we can only hope. And, and we've seen how Darnold really likes the tight end because Ryan Griffin was kind of a signing that went under the radar in August. I mean, he was a tight end with starting experience. Um, but by October, November, I mean, he earned himself a, an extension in November, I believe, Uh Tim Darnold clearly relied on him. It, it went Crowder number one, and then it went, uh, seems like Griffin number two, and then Robbie three. So he clearly loves that tight end spot and to have two really solid tight ends. And, you know, maybe we get more receiving uh, from Wesco this year. I expect him to be more of the blocker H back. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of 12 personnel this year uh, as, as Gase tries to mask the weaknesses at, at receiver by putting more tight ends and more running backs uh, on the field. Um, speaking of that receiver position, Brashad Perriman is another guy that's that's received some high praise so far in the first few days. Caught a 50-yard touchdown from Sam. Adam Gase praised him for showing up, knowing the entire playbook, not having pretty much any questions, knows where to line up. Um, we've already talked about the end of his 2019 year, how amazing that was. Um, but it's consistency. Can he keep that going? Is that a sign of things to come, or was that just a flash in the pan? Um, but very low drop rate, was catching a ton of touchdowns, became Jameis Winston's number one option with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans out. Um, so really did show in those last few, few games that if, if that he could be a number one receiver if that uh, stretch was, uh, was true. Uh, Michael, what are your thoughts on Brashad Perriman? Obviously the Jets need somebody on the outside to step up. Uh, I'm hoping it's going to be Denzel Mims because I think he's going to be the long-term answer. Hopefully the long-term one, maybe the long-term two. But hey, Perriman's still relatively young. Um, you know, if, if he has a great year this year, he'll definitely be brought back. Um, so what are your thoughts on Perriman's statistical expectation, thoughts on, on him in training camp so far and, and, and building that chemistry with Sam? Well, I think it's really promising that he's been one of the, one of the guys who have generated the most hype throughout training camp. And obviously we don't want to put too much stock into it. We know a lot of these, a lot of the players who get hyped in camp, it really turns out to look ridiculous in hindsight. Uh, if, if, if we actually went back and looked through 
all the players who've been hyped up in training camp. We'd see a lot of ridiculous kind of – see things turn out a lot different than we expected them to. But uh, it's good to see this with Perriman, especially with the injuries at receiver. But he is one of the toughest projections on the roster because we've seen everything from him. What he did in December – well, he, I mean, he's one of the best receivers in the league, second in receiving yards, tied for first in touchdowns, and especially the last three games. Those were the first three games of his career in which he played over 85% of the offensive snaps, and he went over 100 yards in each game. So for the first time was a featured option, and he dominated in the role. But those were only three games out of the 51 he's played in his career. Uh, and before December of last year, he had never even caught five passes in a game over his first 46 career appearances so the ceiling is as high as it can get the floor is very very low in uh, the games were before December of last year in the games where he played at least 60 percent of the offensive snaps he averaged about 10 receiving yards a game so he was very quiet in, until December of last year so ceiling's very high floor is really low he could really fall anywhere in there so it's good to see that he's building that chemistry with Darnold right now yeah, I definitely agree with that. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I think I'm more bullish on Perriman than, than you have been to this point. Connor Hughes noted that the biggest difference you're going to see between him and Robbie is more effort. Um, I do think his ceiling in this offense um, is higher than Robbie's, but I, I would say his floor is probably yeah. lower considering that Robbie has the chemistry with Sam and, and you know he's going to bring that deep route or, or that deep speed uh, regardless. Um, the next player, Ashton Davis, who uh, is going viral a little bit today with his backflip jug machine catch which is fairly impressive. Um, also had a nice uh, play displaying his, his uh, range uh, running across the field. I think, as we've noted, I think Greg's going to play a lot of three safety sets. I think in dime packages, Davis is probably going to be that, that slot corner, that uh, second slot corner. And in addition to Brian Poole, I think you're going to see Ashton Davis on the field a lot. In addition to special teams, it was a pick that was a bit of a head stra- a scratcher for some um, because I think people were looking at, well, are they going to take another receiver? Are they going to go edge? And to take a safety, uh, was a bit uh, of a head scratcher considering Jamal Adams was still on the team. But we noted that we thought they might because, one, Greg loves the three safety packages. With Ashton Davis, um, that's a guy that many people thought could have gone at the end of the first, at, at the very least a second round uh, pick. Uh, and then three, obviously, with Jamal Adams being traded. Uh, they Now it looks great because now they have uh, a future uh, right there at, at the safety position between him and May. Uh, Michael, what are your thoughts on Ashton Davis? I know you're a guy who, who thinks that he may struggle a little bit more in his rookie year. Um, kind of why is that and, and what are your, your expectations for Davis and uh, what's the best case scenario, I guess, for, for him this year? Well, if they use him right, I think he can definitely make an impact in his first season. I think it's more of the fact that I, I think there are a lot of people who kind of expected him to maybe, especially if they traded Adams, to just come right in and start and instantly be great. I definitely don't think he's that kind of player. I think there are some things – he has to work out with his some a lot of things in coverage, man to man, and also in the box defending the run. Joe Blewett broke it down really well with his film uh, at JetX. But uh, if you if Greg puts him in the right positions, which is going to be a lot easier now since they pick, did pick up uh, Bradley McDougal in the Adams trade, so they don't have to rely on Ashton Davis to play a starting role. If they use him correctly, you know, put him in spots where he can thrive. You know, here and there, maybe in cover two. If you just put him in the slot and blitz him off the edge, things like that, uh, where he doesn't have to think too much uh, and can just use his speed. And, 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 and also he, he does have to think, you know, if he's playing cover two deep safety, but that's something he's good at. So mo- for the most part, just if you can put him 
in roles situationally, not too many snaps where you know he can thrive. I think he can definitely make an impact as that third safety right away. But in terms of being a long-term starter and also where he fits in because, you know, his strengths are kind of similar to Mays in terms of being a deep safety. So where he fits in long-term, that's a question mark that we're going to have to have answered over the course of this season and also the next few seasons. Uh, and he also, you know, does have to, you know, prove he can be a guy who can play every single snap at safety. But in terms of this year, I think he can make an impact as long as they keep his, as long as they keep his load light and also make sure his roles are roles he can thrive in right off the bat without, you know, having rookie mini camp or too much practice time throughout the season to really get acclimated in the defense because physically we know what he brings to the table, pure speed that a lot of players in the league just don't have. So if, as long as you can maximize that and not risk him blowing coverages because of his lack of experience, getting toasted man to man because he has work to do in that phase, if you can maximize what he does well in a small sample size, I think he can make an impact as that third safety this year. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for Ashton is he's got to change his number to 33 because the 33 yes. is, is much cleaner than the 32. But, um, uh, you know, if he does that. And so I, if we did that, we'd have, you know, two of our headline players from last year, Robbie and Jamal, having just having their young replacement come in and take their number. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if if he switches to 33, I'm putting a Pro Bowl season on deck. If he stays in 32 territory, though, uh, I, I don't know about him. He might be a bust. 33 just feels faster. Two kind of – I don't know what it is, but the two just kind of makes it feel makes you feel more stagnant, not quite as fast. Well, well maybe he can uh, develop that jersey if he if he becomes a great player. Then maybe thirty two will will uh, slowly become a better jersey in my mind. Um, two more players: Makai Becton, who I mean, I, I think Connor Hughes had the joke that every time you see a player say Makai Becton is big, you can take a drink uh, because that's the. No, no pun intended. The biggest thing that, I, that I've seen uh, on Twitter is just how large uh, of a human Mekhi Becton is. But also he's had a nice few plays. He told Frank Gore that uh, he's going to get him four yards every play. Just got to follow him. Seems to be confident. A lot of players are raving about him. The coaches are raving about him. Adam Gase shot down immediately that there was any sort of swimming period for, for Mekhi where he's just trying to survive. He says that he looks very comfortable. Um, and that would be huge. Uh, I, I think he did get blown up on a, on a pass play in day one or something. But the big thing, and, and it's not just for Makai, is the chemistry that this, uh, this unit's going to have to develop in a few weeks. Um, so it's, it's hopefully one of those things that's just getting better every single day as they, as they develop that chemistry. Uh, but, Michael, your thoughts on Makai Becton? Obviously, the Jets' first-round draft pick. If he could step up, that would be absolutely massive. Um, and the line as a whole was the Jets' biggest weakness last year. So your thoughts on Makai Becton and the line of the – and the line as a whole, when we talk about statistical expectations, um, it's probably easier to do line unit rankings instead of just Mackay. So what are your expectations for the offensive line this year? Yeah, I, I think it is. Becton is another guy who it's really important uh, to see him generating some positive, some positive hype throughout practice. And, and I think, you know, if he was struggling, I think, you know, the reports would be out there. It's easy to see if he's getting beaten pretty badly in one-on-one -on -one reps. So apparently he hasn't been, and he has stood out in a positive way. So that's very important. He's probably the, the, he's probably the biggest variable on this team this year in terms of the effect that he has on the entire, uh, on the fortunes of the entire team, because, you know, if he struggles off the bat, which is okay because a lot of future star tackles have rough rookie seasons. If he struggles off the bat, then the, the ceiling of this line is going to be limited quite a bit because how important left tackle is. But if he can start off quickly, which, again, a lot of star tackles do 
immediately come in and play well. We've seen a lot of examples of that recently. Ryan Ramchek, Jack Conklin, uh, Ronnie Stanley, just a few examples of guys who have come right in and played well. If he can do that, then I think that he can, th- that really raises the ceiling, the entire offensive line. If you have a great left tackle immediately out of Becton, uh, and then with some of the other additions they made, including McGovern, Van Roten, um, then that, that offensive line's floor goes up quite a bit. So if he can come right in and play at a solid level at least, it does so much for this entire team uh, because of how important that offensive line is to Sam Darnold, to Le'Veon Bell, to everything. So, and that all starts with Becton. So he's really important. Uh, to see him generating some positive buzz is great. And it's just practice. They just put the pads on today. It means absolutely nothing, but it definitely beats them talking negatively about him. So hopefully this does carry over into the season because he is the most important player on the team this year, right off the bat in his rookie year. And, and that doesn't mean if he plays poorly, it doesn't mean his career is over. He could still become great. A lot, like I said, a lot of rookies you know, don't play well. That's not the expect, expectation for them to play well. You give everybody that one year to figure things out. But if he can play well, it's going to do a lot for this team. Right. Who are you most worried about on that offensive line? Um, you know, between Becton, Alex Lewis, Connor McGovern. Greg I, I, think it's, and, I think it's. I think it's either probably George Fan. I think that's definitely the worry. There's definitely some potential there. You consider how athletic he is, and the fact that even though he's 28 years old, he hasn't started that much in the league. He's had only uh, of all the games he's played, most of them he's been a sixth lineman or come in as a backup. He's only had 18 games where he's actually started and finished, played the entire game at one of those tackle spots. And 13 of those were as a rookie. So over the last three seasons, he's only had five true start and finish games at tackle. So he's got, he has barely any experience at all. And he has all that athleticism. So there's a lot of untapped potential there. But the fact of the matter is when he has played to this point, he's given up a lot of pressure, more than most tackles in the league. He was bottom 10 last year in terms of pressure rate. So that's worrisome, but there's potential there. And the fact that Joe Douglas was willing to fill a crucial hole, um, giving Fant almost 14 million guaranteed uh, in spite of his lack of experience, that gives you the confidence that Douglas and the scouting, uh, the scouting department saw quite a bit in him uh, and see him as a player they can work with and get him, get the most out of him and have and get an improved season out of him so that gives you some confidence the fact that they were willing to invest in him but it is a risk so I think Fant does have easily the lowest floor uh, of any of the five players on the O-line right. Lewis is a little bit not worrying but I just think his ceiling he doesn't have a high ceiling I think uh, in terms of the run game he's not going to create a ridiculous amount of push there but in pass protection I think he does an okay job so a, a relative a respectable floor but his ceiling is definitely the definitely his most limited ceiling of the five, I think. But Fant definitely is the lowest floor. Uh, right, that's a good point you, you brought up about uh, George Fant's contract. I will say that the Jets can get out of that contract very easily. Right. Yes. Um, make your prediction on who's the starting right tackle week seventeen. Is it Chuma, Doga, or is it George Fant? Because Chuma is a guy that uh, has been relatively overlooked the last few months that nobody's really talking about. Um, but if he could step up as the right tackle of the future, I guess, or George Fant, but considering Chuma was a third round draft pick last year, um, that would help Joe Douglas out tremendously. Um, had an up and down rookie season as, as you'd expect from a mid round tackle, uh, really struggled at left tackle, but, you know, had some promise at right tackle specifically in that, that Raiders game before he got hurt. 
Um, so who would you predict to be the, the starting right tackle? Do you think George Fant is going to come through on, on what Joe Douglas thinks he might be able to, or do you think George, uh, Chuma Doug will, will, will surprise? Yeah, I, I remember early in the offseason, we were kind of considering, the, kind of assuming that it was going to be a competition between Fan and Edoga, but there doesn't seem to doesn't seem to be a competition at all. It kind of seems like uh, Fan is locked into that starting spot. So in terms of will he hold on to it throughout throughout the season, I think he will. Does that necessarily mean he'll play well? I'm not sure, but uh, for a guy to be benched, I think he has to play extremely poorly, like some of the, some of the linemen we've seen for this team the past few seasons. And I think Fan will do enough in the run game and I think the unit will be connected enough as a whole because that's an important part too even if one player isn't playing great if the unit as a whole has good camaraderie you're running the football well um, protection protection breakdowns are limited uh, then benching a guy isn't the best move even if he isn't playing great because you want to keep that chemistry together and I think this unit even though they haven't had the practice time I think that they will be decent enough to where they won't want to mess with that too much. So I think Fant will, you know, again, health provided, obviously, but I think he will finish the season as a right tackle. And like you said, with Edoga, it would have been great to see him develop and seize that spot. It still could be great, you know, if Fant gets injured, if he doesn't play well, um, because to have a young tackle develop, a young player in any position develop into a good starter uh, and become a cheap long-term option for you is that's how you build championship teams. So it would be great to see that. That's the most ideal path for them. But I do think Fant will finish the season. And uh, will he play well? That's the biggest question. Um, what, what do you think? Do you think Idoga is going to steal it at some point? Or is Fant going to finish it out? My gut is telling me George Fant, I guess. But, yeah, I mean, like you said, the, the best case scenario is Idoga. So I, that's right. what I'm cheering for. And especially considering George Fant's contract, I would love if the Jets could – see something from Chuma Doga where they don't have to invest a top draft pick in another tackle. Uh, and then they can release George Fant and get his cap space back. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with George Fant, but uh, it's really close for me. And, and part of that is because of my lack of confidence in George Fant. I think he has shown some fairly high ceilings at time, but like you said, he's had some, you know, fairly bad plays in, in the NFL. So for him, it's about consistency. Can he be that consistent uh, starter at right tackle? Uh, and not, you know, turn into a turnstile. You know, I don't think he's as bad as some fans thought he was when he first got signed. He really does have uh, quite a few pancake blocks. And, and you know, just like Mekhi Becton has the size and the, the athleticism, which is perfect for Adam Gase's offense. Uh, but, yeah, I'm going to go with him. But uh, if Chuma could really show anything, that's that's the best-case scenario. I would yeah, say it's 60-40 It's definitely the best-case scenario because – uh, you know, like, like I said earlier, that is how you build a championship team by developing your own talent, you know, having a fort, having young players who are on cheap deals. And also, you know, they fit in your system. They're established in your culture. Uh, and, and Idoga last year struggled for the most part, but he was uh, one of the youngest tackles in the league. I, I believe he was the youngest Jets tackle uh, since Marvin Powell in 1977. So he was really young and he had to switch between the left and the right side because of injuries, he got thrown in earlier than expected because Shell was so bad. So he definitely had to deal with a lot, and he was a rookie anyway, a third-round yeah, rookie. But you know, he, he showed some potential that's in the point. last he, few starts he made, and he, he improved throughout his short stint. It's, yeah, it's hard to remember. He's a third-round rookie that was quite young and then was just kind of thrown into to the spotlight. So Jets probably shouldn't just give up on him 
uh, that easily, although he wasn't a Joe Douglas pick, which doesn't help him. Right. Um, but yeah, it's close for me because both those guys are our major question marks. Um, I think Fant right now, you know, it's hard for me to say. I almost want to say Chuma. Uh, no, I'll, I'll say I'll say Fant right now. Yeah, has, has I think I, the ideal path is Idoga stealing it at some point because you know whatever the reason, but Idoga stealing it uh, and playing well to finish out the season. But most likely, you have to go towards the Douglas guy who was George Fant uh, and and think that he'll finish out the season. Right, uh, and if George Fant does finish out the season, I think the Jets will have the two biggest tackles uh, in the entire NFL protecting Sam, which if they could both play well would be. Uh, would be quite quite great um the last uh player quinn williams who has been a bit of a training camp stud throughout the first few days um the jets are gonna need a huge year from him um, because as you just talked about finding studs uh in the nfl draft and and being able to to play them on cheap contracts is how you win especially when you take a guy top three when you could have traded down you could have taken josh allen you could have taken ed oliver um quinnon was viewed as by a lot of people the best player available you know, obviously positional value for interior defensive linemen is fairly low, but if you can create that interior pressure, that's arguably as valuable as edge pressure. Um, nobody says Quinn has to be Aaron Donald, but if he can be developed into a player like Chris Jones, who's a, an amazing player in his own right. Um, but if they can get something from Quinn where he can be better than the average starter in the NFL, that's why you take a guy in the top three is you believe that he has that elite pro bowl potential uh, had a fairly quiet rookie season. Uh, just like Chris Jones did and, and a lot of fairly successful interior defensive linemen. I think anybody who plays in the trenches, um, typically they struggle as, as a rookie, but Gwynn did have a few flashes. Um, apparently he's playing hurt all year. He seems to have uh, worked out really hard this off season. He looks a lot uh, bigger. Um, so, or he looks slimmer, but I guess more to find. Um, so Michael, your, your thoughts on Quinn and Williams, uh, clearly in the run game, it seems to be where he's really standing out, but if he can generate anything in the pass game, um, that would help a, a you know a, a Jets defense that is just starving for any uh, sort of uh, pressure on the quarterback. So, Michael, your thoughts on, on Quinn and Williams? Yeah, well, like you said, I think in the run game, he, he he did a good job in the run game. I think he he can be more dominant in that phase. He was he was very solid, but he can be more dominant there. But it's a passing game where the progression needs to come. He was below average there, not terrible. I think he did a lot of off the stat sheet stuff that didn't really get noticed especially later in the season, the last four games that he played, he finished off pretty well uh, in terms of pressures. Uh, and also I, was, I looked at every single pass rush rep that he had throughout the season uh, in terms of just winning blocks or, or just winning reps, uh, beating the guy in front of him, regardless of whether uh, it results in a pressure or a sack. Uh, he was winning much more frequently down the stretch. The Jets used him in stunts less often, gave him more one-on-one matchups, and with the increased amount of one-on-one matchups, he was winning them more frequently than he was early in the season uh, at a much higher rate than he was. So he improved down the stretch. That was promising, uh, and he has to carry that over this season, especially because they have still have no edge rush to rely on at all. So if they're going to create any pressure, it's going to be on Greg Williams to dial up blitzes effectively, and it's going to be on that interior D-line. Uh, to rack up the pressure. And, and as you said before, I think that interior pressure is as, just as valuable as edge pressure, where I think the difference is, is that I think in the league right now, the talent at the defensive line is a lot deeper than the talent at edge. Right. A lot of teams feel like they have a good group of defensive tackles, but not a lot of teams can say that they have two edge rushers 
that they can feel good about. So right. I think the, the value of pressure at each position is very similar. And you think of pressure up the middle, it's a lot closer to the quarterback than the edge. That's coming straight into his face. Uh, and that's how he scrambles out into a lot of sacks that edge rushers pick up. So I think it's very similar in value. But the difference is that defensive tackle is deeper. So if you're going to pick one high, he has to be really good because it's a position that's easy to find in the later rounds, like we've seen with the Jets in recent years with guys like Shepard, Fadakasi. So he's got to be really good to be worth that pick. And he definitely has the talent to do so. He showed it down the stretch last season and in flashes throughout the year. Uh, so the pass rushing, uh, that's the phase where he's got to really improve. In the last four games, he definitely was a much improved player than he was uh, over his first nine games. So hopefully he is able to do that. And he doesn't have to put up 10 sacks. He doesn't even have to put up eight sacks. I know that's what everyone likes to look at, but it's about pressure. That is what is most important. Sacks are so rare that it's just, you can't evaluate a player based on a handful of sacks in a season. Uh, whereas uh, his ability to create pressure matters on every single snap throughout the season. So uh, if he can rack up, ramp up his pressure to a top 10 to top 15 rate, that's where you want to see him be. Uh, and the way he was playing down the stretch last season, I definitely think he's capable of doing it. So to see him, just like Makai Becton, uh, Quinton Williams getting positive hype in training camp is a really positive thing uh, because he's one of the biggest X factors on this team. If they're going to create pressure defensively, then it's going to have to start with Quinton Williams considering uh, the lack of talent on the edge. So very promising to see him getting some right. positive hype. Uh, last question, I guess, as we've gone through these players, uh, if Quinn Williams has the season that you expect he may have this season, or maybe the, the season that you want, not doesn't have to be Hall of Fame Pro Bowl level in year two, but a, a very good season, creating a lot of pressures, maybe getting five or six sacks uh, and dominant in the run game. Where do you think this Greg Williams defense places without Jamal Adams? No CJ Mosley. I guess they didn't, they didn't have Mosley last year. Um, they get Avery Williamson back. I think their corners are probably overall better, but still a big question mark. Uh, and the big question mark is, is on the edge. Um, defensive line, as you said, I think most teams feel like they have a good defensive line. I think that's, that's a really good point you made. Uh, and the Jets have a lot of, I guess, smaller names in the defensive line than they, they might be used to. Quinnen is the guy that stands out to the average NFL fan, but Steve McClendon's probably one of the most underrated players in, on in the league, uh, let alone on the team. Guys like Folo Fadikasi and Nathan Shepard both had great years last year. And even a guy like Kyle Phillips, um, and we've talked about getting uh, John Franklin Myers back, who didn't play at all last year, but uh, did show some promise with, with the Rams in, in 2018. Um, where do you think this defense places uh, under Greg Williams? Do you think they're going to go up um, from last year, or do you think they're going to go down in terms of uh, scoring defense, which they were middle of the, the league. I think they were 16th in scoring defense, but in uh, defensive yards, they, I believe they were uh, around the 10 mark, 11 or 10. Um, so, Michael, where do you think this defense places? Yeah, they were they were 10th in DVOA last year, which was really right. impressive considering the injuries. But Adams and Mosley definitely shakes it up quite a bit. Even though they don't play what you would consider premium positions, you're still taking a big drop-off in talent from Adams to Bradley McDougald. And McDougald is a very solid replacement. But that's still quite a big drop-off from a guy who's probably the best player in the league at his position to a guy who's an above-average starter. And then at linebackers, where it's a little more important, you're going from Mosley to um, a combination of guys who had the Jets linebacker group as one of the worst in the league last year in terms of various factors, passer rating allowed, missed tackles. Uh, and all the guys who are a part of that are back and probably are going to be combining 
to fill in for Mosley, but you do get Avery Williamson back. That's important. But other than that, it's going to have to come down for them to improve or even uh, maintain that ranking. And, and also with Mosley, it is important to realize that they didn't have him last year anyway, but it was going to be, uh, he definitely would have raised the ceiling quite a bit, but uh, for them to make up for the loss of those two guys and be able to either maintain or beat that ranking from last year, it's going to come down to internal progression. Quinn and Williams, who we just talked about, can he take a big step up at cornerback and bless Austin, give you 16 games uh, of what he gave you the first four games he played last year were really solid. He cooled off a little bit after that got benched, but he was a rookie who had not even practiced until October had come off of two ACL surgeries. So what he did was so impressive. If, Bless Austin can develop into a star. That would be absolutely massive. Uh, and then at the edge, is someone going to step up and do anything? You mentioned in our last podcast, Terrell Basham, as your pick for surprise player. If he can do that, that would be massive. Uh, is Jordan Jenkins ever going to take a step up from just being an okay rusher? That would be huge. Bryce Huff, is he going to do anything? Is Jabari Zuniga going to contribute as a rookie? None of, none of those edge rushing uh, prospects are promising, but if someone can do it, it would be huge, but it's going to come down to progression if they're going to improve because they, they did not improve on paper off of last year. They would have if they still had uh, Mosley coming back coupled with Avery Williamson and still had Adams. But uh, with those two stars gone, it's definitely on paper a worse defense than it was last year, but it can be better because what you have uh, in terms of youth with Quinn and Williams, Nathan Shepard as well, can he become a top-tier pass-rushing defensive tackle? Uh, what Shepard's done on a per-snap basis with pressure uh, gives a promise that he can be a really, really good pass-rushing tackle. Can he do that uh, and then bless Austin the outside? So it, it will come down to progression. Right. But overall, I think that uh, the loss of Mosley and Adams is definitely going to knock them down a little bit. This is still going to be, I think they'll be right around average, somewhere in that uh, 18 to 14 range. This is still going to be a great run defense. And then in coverage, I think you still have a very solid safety duo with May and Bradley McDougald. Avery Williamson's going to help out there a little bit. And he'll also help out in run defense, uh, mitigating the loss of Jamal Adams. So this should be a top five run defense in coverage. It should be slightly below average. You know, you're helped out by your safeties, but hurt by the corners. And overall, it should be about average. But the potential is there to be better if you can get Quinnen and Bless Austin, particularly uh, particularly those two guys, uh, to have big breakouts. Right. I, th I think the biggest thing that, that you mentioned there is um, the lack of an edge presence. And I think this past offseason, Joe Douglas – um, really focused on rebuilding the offensive line. And obviously next offseason, he's going to continue rebuilding the offensive line. He's going to go focus on getting Sam Darnold more weapons. I think that's going to be the primary objective on offense. Um, but I would say his probably number one objective is going to be getting edge talent, you know, getting after the quarterback. Because he recognizes to win in this league, and I've said it a thousand times, you got to protect the quarterback and you have to get after the opposing team's quarterback. So he's he started the rebuild on protecting Sam but he hasn't really done much on getting after the other quarterback. So I think next offseason you're going to see him fill out that offensive line, bring in Samson weapons, and then really go all out trying to build that front seven. Uh, and, you know, he'll probably throw in a corner there as well. But that edge uh, position is really where he's going to look. It wouldn't surprise me if the Jets had, you know, three new edge players between free agency and, and early round uh, draft picks. Um, before we wrap up, uh, a little bit of breaking news here. I guess not by the time you're listening to this, but Vincent Smith, 
He's going to be out five to eight weeks with a core muscle surgery he's going to have. I guess it's better than missing the entire season. Um, but uh, he, he'll, he'll, he should be back within the first month of the season. But, yeah, he could miss – you know, weeks three and weeks four or whatever. So maybe that makes sense. And that definitely means that Chris Hogan's going to be out there playing some pretty meaningful snaps. Yeah, that explains the signing. Um, It's a bit of a bummer because I think some people were expecting a big season from from Vincent Smith uh, as kind of a a sleeper pick. Um, But, you know, he he will return this season, so hopefully he can can display uh, his talent in the uh, the mid part of the season and, and towards the end. Um, but that's going to do it for our first edition of this training camp CYJ pod. I'm sure we'll be doing plenty more. Uh, we have some stuff planned. We'll do a mailbag again soon and, and some other things, but I uh, kind of like this format, breaking down some, some training camp studs over the first few days. Uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty more uh, training camp sweethearts um, as we, as we continue on. Uh, I think we're four weeks away from week one. So it's uh, quite close. Uh, it's, it's weird with no preseason games, but we'll see how the Jets can replicate that in practice. I wonder if we will get some pretty intense um, practice sessions. I think the full pads go on, if not tomorrow, the next day. Um, they did start with the uppers, which is just shoulder pads and no uh, knee pads or anything. So we'll see how it goes. Um, but yeah, it seems like uh, the first day was the worst day. Yesterday was great. And today is another solid day. So just going to keep building, especially with that offensive line, just got to get that chemistry uh, developed and, and fast uh, because Sam Darnold, Le'Veon Bell uh, desperately need help uh, from their front five. Uh, you can follow us at CYJ pod on Twitter. You can follow myself at Ben W. Blessington, Michael at Michael underscore Nania. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, jets, X factor.com. We're also there. It's the best place to go for jets content. Make sure you check that out. We're on the jets, X factor, YouTube as well. Um, so go subscribe there. We, we post all our episodes there and, uh, uh, yeah, um, I think that's it for all the plugs. Uh, Michael, any last words before we wrap this up? I actually do have one more thing to say, and it's about Quinn and Williams. I just want to say, try not to look at just sacks. It doesn't tell you everything. Fletcher Cox, he's averaged six sacks per season in his career. Akeem Hicks, he's usually around seven. Grady Jarrett has averaged about five or six. And these guys are absolute game records, and their sack numbers aren't ridiculous so uh, pay attention to what he's doing on the field don't just look at the sack column it's about pressure well can i say one thing though i guess now that you open that can of worms wouldn't that be the same case with leonard williams i think leonard williams is a good underrated player i'm not a leonard williams critic i think he was uh i think jets fans massively underrated him so do you but do you think the value of a third and five then was not as great as a lot of Jets fans thought it was. Do you think the Jets would be a better defense with him? I mean, when you look at what the money he's demanding, I, I really don't feel like – I th- felt like the defense actually got better when the Jets lost Leonard Williams. Um, and I understand that he, he is always towards the top of the league with his pressure rate, um, but it's his sacks that, that never really, uh, you know, matriculated. Well, I think it was a good value because of the contract and how much talent they have there. Although at that point, we didn't really know about Shepard or Fadakasi, but I, I guess because from a contract – team building standpoint that made perfect sense but i do think the jets would be uh have substantially more upside if they had leonard williams if you had him and quinnon next to each other right now and i know it didn't look like it when they were together last season um but i do think there'd be more upside but but to be fair though that was the the stretch that leo had the first half of last season was easily the worst of his career and he was a lot better when he went to the Giants. If you watch that Giants game against the Jets last year, Leo was in Darnold's face constantly throughout that game. Uh, he got a lot better once he 
uh, was traded to the Giants. I'm not sure what, what happened with him uh, with the Jets to start last season, but I, I do stand for Leo. I support him. All right. Well, that will wrap up this episode of CYJ. Um, bit of a an underrated note there by uh, Michael uh, <laughs> capping for for Leonard Williams. I don't know how to end that, but um, you know, let's just hope Quentin Williams is a better player than Leonard. I guess I guess you're right. If he turns out to be Leonard Williams, that's fine. But in my book, uh, I'm, I'm hoping for him to be uh, a little bit more impactful than Leo was because it would seem like Leonard would go five or six games without ever hearing his name, and then he'd make one sack on a broken play and. You know, Man, this is this know. is just the disconnect here between fans and what really matters. If you really pay attention to Leo every snap, he was doing quite a bit throughout most of his career with the Jets, regardless of what the sack totals say. Does it sound like I listened to Logic, Michael? <laughs> All right, we'll wrap it up there. I hope everybody's staying well, uh, staying healthy. Uh, and, yeah, we'll be back in the next few days uh, with another Jets training camp update. Uh, maybe a mailbag. We'll see. Um, but, yeah, everybody stay healthy, stay happy. Still think the Leo trade was good. Yes.